With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis.com podcast. Uh, getting together with Peter Bodo after a little bit of a uh, vacation, summer break, if you will. Pete, good to have you back here, as always. Good to be here. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's get right into it. Um, this is what the tours have, are doing this week, anyway, in Canada, uh, Toronto, Montreal. Yeah, they alternate every year to split um, the Rogers Cup, which is effectively, you know, really the first tournament where you're going to see um, the main, all the main players return from Wimbledon. There are a few exceptions this year because of injury. Um, Halep, uh, you have Rafa out of course as well, Lina as well. So the fields are still stocked. Um, you know, when, when I think about this time of year, August, um, the first thing that comes to mind is, is that old dog days of summer line. And in a sport that follows the summer across the globe, I still kind of put this part of the year as the dog days of the tennis summer. So I'm kind of wanted to ask you, you know, what importance do you put on particularly this tournament and maybe next week's in Cincinnati? Well, it's funny. Does any period of time in tennis go more slowly than these last couple of weeks have gone? Okay, maybe after the Australian Open, but you know, it's that's what it's, I was and, thinking, and you're right. right. It is a head, it is a heart of the uh, tennis season. But I think uh, you know, but you know, the problem is that the rest of these guys need more and more as time goes on, men and women. So you know, it's it's damned if you do, damned if you don't. They can't be playing. Wimbledon every other week so you know it's it's kind of a tough situation but it is a nice break for everybody and now it gets serious and in a way the fact that we do have as you say the dog days that really kind of makes what's coming up seem much more important I mean everybody's pretty stoked for the Rogers Cup and they ought to be yeah you do get that period of ref- of kind of a, a refreshing lull after Wimbledon um, you know it's it's that saying, I guess, about tennis is, you know, the players that need to play, there is a tournament there to be played, and the players that don't need to play, you know, that's this is when you tend to re- to recuperate, uh, regroup a little bit, and, you know, it, it's it's a it's the way that the Masters slash Premier schedules have been orchestrated is, you know, they filter the players into the events that uh, you know have been fortunate enough to acquire those spots over the year, and and these are very strong fields here. So it, it's a tournament that you know for many reasons we're going to be uh, looking at with keen interest here. It'd be a little better actually if they had Cincinnati or Montreal were a week up. You know, uh, of course, I don't think either of them wants to be because the back-to-back Masters, I think, is a tough ask. That That is an unfortunate aspect of the timing, although you kind of end up with the same thing in Europe on clay. Maybe it works out okay. And I don't think players would want to change because I think one of the things that's really played into the hands of the top players is that you do have this big lull now. So a guy like a Federer or, or Djokovic or Nadal, he doesn't have to play. He's got a couple weeks, you know, weeks and weeks off after Wimbledon. And so, you know, and in light of that, I think, 
subsequent complaints about the length of the schedule ring a little hollow. Yeah, it's, like I said, it's a topic that is never, ever going to go away. I feel like I've had this chat with you every year since uh, since podcasts were invented, basically. Um, let's, speaking of Canada, let's talk a little bit about Milos Raonic. Uh, we, you and I, in the last podcast, we talked at length about Eugenie Bouchard along with Simona Halep, actually. We dug into her a lot after what has been a tremendous year up to this point for her. Um, Raonic is actually, he's just about to crack into the top five. Um, he's just a few points away from passing Burdich in the top five. And, I, I, you know, last week he wins uh, Washington, D.C. To me, we're, we're getting Raonic into a discussion that he really hasn't been a part of forever at this point. And that's not to say he's anywhere in the class of the uh, big three, big four, however you want to put it, but he's given himself an opportunity over these next two Masters events and the U.S. Open to kind of do a, a put-up-or-shut-up type of deal, to really see what this guy's got now. And what I want to know from you, your thoughts, maybe on him a little bit, and more to the point, you know, what is considered success and maybe what is considered failure for for Raonic at this point? Well, I think, you know, success, I think, for him is getting to that next level. And I think he's gotten to that next level. So it's going to be a little tricky these next couple of weeks because, look, if the guy's ready to crack the top five, that's a quantum leap from where he was because, as we all know, the closer you get to the top, the tougher the going becomes. So it's 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 a tough thing. What we're seeing, though, is the payoff of Ivan Lubicic and Ricardo Piatti's coaching. I mean, they've taken this kid who was just a big kid who used to hit giant serves and then really not know what to do with the rest of his game. And they've said, look, you've got to build your game around that serve and around that forehand and you've got to actually because you've got such strong tools with which to take charge you got to take charge you can't just hit a big serve and if it comes back settle in at the baseline for a rally so I, I think this is all this is all really rubbed off on him I think it's working very well he seems like a very coachable kid because he's a smart kid he looks like he's right out of leave it to beaver or something you know uh, but you know that's what I think he's done I think these next two weeks in a way I think they're gravy for him he's going to want to do well in Canada he's shown that he can do well in Canada last year, finalist against Nadal. We'll see what happens. Yeah, you know, he Raonic, he's always going to be identified with the serve, but as you say, you know, he's he's evolved from, uh, you know, Carney Act to, you know, a player of, of, of great importance here. And I like that Carney Act. Yeah, and, uh, well, I, I kind of compare where, you know, you think of some other players that are clearly identified by their serve. Uh, John Isner is a good example. Isner's rounded himself out well, of course, too, and top 15 player regularly. But, you know, I think Rayona... Kevin Anderson? Yeah. And, um, you know, you know, a player like Karlovich, for example, that's an only a serve player. And, and we think about where Raonich is kind of on this list. I think the, I think someone you ultimately try to compare him to, maybe where he goes, um, you know, his ceiling maybe is like a Juan Martin Del Potro ceiling type of player where, you know, he Del Potro, of course, does not is not someone who brings 140 miles an hour all the time. But he is a you know a very a very big player who had developed a big all around game. And you know, it, it would be remiss to mention that Del Potro was, of course, not here as well. And you know, who knows kind of where he's going as well. Um, but that's what I, what I kind of think of Raonic at this point, and 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 it's sort of the reason why I think. These this next month will be very kind of telling about you know how high he can climb basically. 
Oh, absolutely. You know, he did a good job winning Washington. You know, he had to face his countryman, Pospisil, in the final. And that's not an easy, you know, that's not an easy, easy, you know, task because there's a lot of pressure on him now. And everyone's thinking, oh, well, you know, Pospisil, gee, you ought, to ha- you ought to beat him, no problem. So he's really handled all this stuff well. He's handled the pressure really well. He's done, you know, he's done sort of all that, all that you can ask. You know, the thing is, at some point, fatigue is going to be an issue for him potentially. I mean, he's going to, you know he's still a young kid, uh, so he is strong. But you know, he, you know he's he's played a lot of tennis um, this past week in Washington, and if he has a good run in Canada, come Cincinnati, he's still thinking ahead to the U.S. Open. So. It would, yeah, it, I, an early Cincinnati exit slash, um, you know, mysterious pullout would not surprise me in the least, and it's probably pretty smart for him, all things yeah, exactly. considered. There, um, looking at the women's side of uh, Montreal, where they are. Um, you know, at this point, you uh, you obviously put Serena back into a, a different discussion with her win last week. You you know, the field is kind of the usual suspects as you as you have seen. Um, but one player who is really kind of reemerged back in is Victoria Azarenka, who came back over the past few weeks after a pretty injury marred early start of the season. Um, the reason why I think it's it's important to bring her up is, you know, this is this is her time of the year as it's been shown throughout her career. The hard courts are where she is queen. Uh, she has had great success in Australia and plenty of success in the summer and the U.S. Open. Um, but Azarenka, obviously, at this point, were you know the form the form is to be determined. And with her, it's almost like you don't really know what you're going to get until you see it happen. So what do you, what are you thinking about Vika at this stage? Um, you know, obviously a player that could be anybody. Well, right for one thing, I'm not sure she's in the best shape possible. I mean, granted, she's sort of big bone girl. She got you know she's she's a fleshy girl. She's a, got a big body, but she did not look that good to me physically. Uh, you know, she looked a little bit almost bloated. You know. Uh, like she's, you know, maybe sat back and was having too good a time or something. You know, I, I don't know. Uh, and, but you know, but again, you know, different body types. And, and it's kind of funny how players' bodies change at different times in their lives. You know, some players suddenly will get flesh out and get big when they're in their early 20s. Others, it's not till after they retire. So it, it's hard to say. I think that kind of hurt her a little bit and her, her movement wasn't that great. But the biggest thing, of course, was the rust. So she, you know, she's really needs, she needs a couple matches now. She's, she's going to be able to get them. I don't think she's in any great hurry. Look, she's been number one. She's won a bunch of Grand Slams. She's made a lot of money. I think she's probably thinking the most most important thing for her this year would be to do well at the U.S. Open. So she could say, sure, fine, you know, Rogers Cup is a premier, so Cincinnati. But what I really want to do, she must be thinking, is get myself into good shape for Cincinnati, you know, for for the U.S. Open, and and try to try to sort of salvage my year from there on. The. Uh, yeah. About this stretch of the season, as we're talking about here, um, really from now until the end of the Open, uh, the last thing I wanted to hit on here is this: you know, these tournaments will, in all likelihood, really determine who is going to kind of claim 2014, the season, as their own. Um, in particular, uh, on the men's side, as you know, the majors have been split uh, across. You know, you think way back to the Australian Stan Wawrinka, uh, Rafa taking Roland Garros, Djokovic taking Wimbledon. Um, you know, we oh, we need his Federer, Mark. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a prediction for you. Huh? Yes, there you go. You could could end up all split, just like it was a couple of years ago, actually. 
Um, you know, we're back to hard courts where Ravrinka was, you know, so lethal early on in the year. I, I think, I think perhaps in a way we, we could be overlooking him, uh, as, as this time, as this court reemerges for him. Uh, Nadal will not be playing until at least the U.S. Open. Even that's not a guarantee. Um, that would be a shame, as we, as it's been revealed, he will be going back to sleeveless shirts for the Open. I don't know if you were aware of that, Pete, but... Um, oh my gosh, I missed that somehow. Yeah, I don't know how that email got deleted by Uh-oh, either. back to the old Jet Boy days. He's going to be murder. He Everything changed when he put on those sleeves, so we'll see what happens. That'll be interesting. I, geez, I hope he plays. Yeah, no. and But, you know, overall, what really, you know... Novak Djokovic, in the end, is probably going to end up really determining where this whole year, you know, this year goes. I think, you know, Wimbledon, to get that win after really in a in a big bind after the fourth, I mean, if you just boil it down to just the fourth set and how he got, that it got away from him and all the stuff that led up to that final and his coach, you know, to get that win, I think it really kind of puts you know, it kind of puts the sword back with him there, and it it kind of depends on how he plays, and we'll see what happens with the rest of the field. But you know, where do you think I I guess the rest of this summer, you know, from a very top level goes from you know these men who in almost every instance of these tournaments are going to be the ones that end up in the last rounds. Well, let's get back to Roger, Roger Federer for a minute, though. We saw what Pete Sampras did at the U.S. Open at the end of his career. What was it, 2001, I think? You know, wins the U.S. Open. Everyone had written him off. He hadn't won a, you know, won a Grand Slam title in over two years, I believe. He'd, he'd won almost nothing for two years. 2002. 2002. And, yes. boy, up he pops and wins the Open. I would not put something like that past Federer. He's been competitive. He's been in everything. And most importantly, he's been both healthy and he's been enthusiastic. So, look, when that guy is 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 in that kind of shape, especially with Nadal potentially out of there and Murray leading a very quiet existence these days, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I would not, you know, I would not put anything past him. Djokovic, though, in a way, you know, he's his his great asset in a sense is that he's totally playing with house money. I mean, he really rescued his year and you know added you know really helped his career with that win at Wimbledon, and he got married. You know, so he's having you know he's he's sort of heavy lifting for the year is done. I think if you're going to the U.S. Open without having won a Grand Slam this year, and clearly you know n- you know being number two to Nadal, whatever the rankings say, I think it might be playing on the back of his mind. But he's in command now. He's coming up on a part of the year that he, that he that he really likes the fall as well as 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 now. And, uh, you know, so he's got to be a very relaxed guy, you know, freshly married, got a baby on the way, nothing to lose, swing from the heels. He's going to he's going to be tough to beat. And Nadal, I don't know, coming back from injury, it's going to be if he doesn't play anything before the open, uh, it, you know, it's set up for one of those dramatic mellow slash melodramatic. What's wrong with Rafa kind of moments? Mm-hmm. Um, a- any thoughts on Stan as it relates to all this? Just because, you know, just because I think it, it's hard to ignore or maybe I should put it this way. Are you thinking more and more as time elapses that Stan's win in Australia was kind of the right place at the right time at the right injury to Rafael Nadal? Or is, no, that, I, or is that discussion too much to have? Well, there's not too much to have. You can always have it. But I would certainly come down on a side that says Vavrinka could still do it. You know, he's been, you know, he's sort of been lurking and, and, and you know, he sort of pops up once in a while does something good you know he won that masters around clay i guess so i think i I would not write him off in this at all and uh i think his motivation probably is 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 fairly high um and his game i mean you know he's got a total cannon you know on that forehand side and 
and w- when he gets going with that serve, if he's serving well, he's you know he he's going to be you know very very tough to beat. You know if if he happens to hit one of those patches where he starts to come up again and and is ready to go, which may very well be. I think he I think one big run by him in one of these Masters events will kind of open up that chatter a little bit more. And I think and now that you mentioned. Federer, especially, I think one match at the at the U.S. Open that would be great to see, with all the kind of subplots that have gone on this year and what Switzerland has coming up in the Davis Cup right afterwards, is Federer versus Vavrinka at some point at the Open, and I think that would be, you know, a really, really, a really solid match to have, uh, you know, wherever it lands in the schedule. But that's way, way too far ahead of us. Yeah, so wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. So, um, Pete, we will catch up after. Canada on the podcast here. We'll move right into uh, Cincinnati, of course, and really see what's taking place here. And in the meantime, everyone, you should check out uh, Pete's writing and all the other writings on tennis.com about the Rogers Cup in Toronto and Montreal. Um, Maybe Calgary will get a shot at it someday. Who knows? (laughs) But anyways, uh, thank you for listening once again to the tennis.com podcast. You've been enjoying the tennis.com podcast. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.